10 years from now, we will reflect on the innovation happening and see the world has changed for a better place. But for anyone running a business or responsible for its financial well-being, you have a fundamental requirement here and now to make sure that company survives. Today, we have some key advice from a seasoned CFO who weathered the 2000, the 2008 and now the 2020 global crisis. Catherine Burkett, CFO at GoCardless, shares her experience that if you keep a level head, scenario plan repeatedly, accept mistakes, keep an eye on that bottom line and talk to your stakeholders, that you will come out the other side as a better leader and executive. Catherine, welcome so much to the show. Thank you for having me. I can imagine you have seen pretty much every scenario of um, economic challenge that this country has thrown up um, over over the last um, few years. Um, but has that experience prepared you in any way for dealing with this particular economic cri- crisis during the economic uh, during the, the pandemic? Um, so in short, yes. I mean, clearly, um, the COVID-19 pandemic is, is nothing that any of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. Uh, and clearly, therefore, it does throw up sort of unprecedented challenges uh, and things that make it even harder than some of the other things that I've, I've been and survived through in my career. Uh, but there is no doubt that having um, sort of been around when uh, the dot-com crash happened in, in sort of May 2000, and also then the financial crisis that happened um, in 2008. Both of those things prepared me very well for not panicking, realizing that you (laughs) can get through a crisis. Actually, sometimes good things come out of a crisis as well. Um, And I, you know, for sure, I'm very glad in many ways that I'm facing this as a much more experienced and seasoned professional uh, than say, you know, was I, you know, the CFO like I was in, in sort of 2004, you know, very inexperienced and, and generally sort of the, the world changing overnight and throwing you into yeah. kind of complete disruption. Uh, clearly, you know, this was different in the sense that it was so kind of black and white, you know, in the sense of you just went into complete lockdown and, and the impact on, on many, many businesses. Uh, but the fact that I know that, um, you know, the key is to, to keep a level head and to understand as well, I think the, the key for me was always, which was definitely at the forefront of my mind at my time at Interroot, always realizing that you're thinking about how you manage to ensure that the business that you're running survives, because mm. that's the best learn for the long term. Uh, I think the difficulty with this crisis is it's very, very unknown when we're going to come out the other hand. You know, most recessionary events, um, which mm-hmm. the, you know the crash in 2008 and, and at some level the dot com crash and the telecoms crash that followed that, you sort of always felt you would come out the other side. Uh, whereas this, I'm sure we will, but the timing on it is very, very uncertain. And uh, that just adds to a huge a sort of disruption to the business that you're constantly having to think through. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely think there's a lot in what you've just said. You know, when we think about uh, 2008, for example, it was this bad thing happened, but if we put the, all of these building blocks back in place, we will. We are on the road to recovery. This time around, it's this this immediate thing has happened, and I know we did have a little bit of warning because we all saw what was happening in China in January, but none of us really believed it was going to reach us. Um, you know, we then had this immediate lockdown with with very little warning, 
And we continually, every day, like every day you get up and it's a completely different uh, political and economic landscape. So they keep putting the building blocks in and then COVID keeps knocking them away again, almost. Uh, agreed. And I think, you know, in some ways, um, it's, I, I find it's quite hard as well, just because you've got your own social and, and sort of your own mental reaction to what's going on in the world. So this is, becomes a very personal thing, as well as a business mm-hmm. thing. And I think that does make it all the harder to, to deal with. Um, but I think what you've just got to do through anything like this is, and certainly this is the way that we're thinking about it is go cardless, is always make sure or, or try and make sure that the business is in the best po- possible position to weather future storms, uh, should they come. Uh, but also, I do think it's really important that you don't overreact because, um, you know, undoubtedly, COVID is going to change the world. There's no question about that. You know, I, we're definitely through the other side yet and probably not for another six, 12 months. Uh, yeah. But I do think, you know, the world will get back to a place of what we might consider our more normality, but I think it'll be a new normality. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I want to make sure that as Go Carlos, we're in the best position to uh, serve our merchants in that world, uh, serve new merchants in that world, and ultimately, you know, thrive as a business. Absolutely. And it's great to see all of this experience that you've gathered over the years um, coming to it before in this particular situation. Um, so let's let's just touch on that experience because it's phenomenal. And I love uh, reading about other incredible uh, women all the time. And it just blows me away. So your um, sort of your career history, you know, you've you were 15 years at, uh, at Interbrit and you oversaw 12 a- acquisitions. And then it was acquired for in a multi-billion deal um, a couple of years ago. Can you tell us, you know, what was that? What was that whole experience like, like growing uh, into what then became a unicorn? And, you know, what what were the challenges? How did you face them? Tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, so I, I was actually at Interoop for 18 years. I spent 15 as a CFO. Uh, okay. So I joined, to be honest, as, you know, I did my training with KPMG, you know, the usual route. And uh, it sort of, you know, never felt odd it was for me. Uh, spent a couple of years in transaction services with KPMG and then decided to look for a role in industry and, and joined Interoop. Uh, initially to head up the financial planning analysis team because uh, I'm a bit of a geek, really, at some level, <laughs> in the sense that I have a maths graduate and I actually love financial modelling um, in my early days so uh, I uh, took a modeling job uh, to head up FP&A basically at, at a company called Interroot um, I didn't know nothing about tech uh, at that point in time certainly didn't, didn't understand at that stage how telecoms worked but then I went on to a very very long learning curve and you know I was so I'm so privileged to have experienced what I did at Interroot um, I was definitely in the right place at the right time um, the reason I got the chance to step up to CFO was uh, the business uh, was originally basically building a big network across uh, Europe in the telecoms boom that happened in in sort of the end of the 90s early 2000s so it was a, a big construction project building a fiber optic network that in itself was not you know it was a financial disaster really in the <laughs> sense that lots and lots of money was spent not just in Interroot but many many other uh, similar businesses in building big networks that ultimately had very little revenue on them. So we came out of um, sort of end of 2002 with a huge network and um, 
no revenue uh, and also basically uh, sort of supplier commitments, which meant that the business was never going to make, make profit. So the business actually went in and out of receivership at that time uh, because it was the wow. only way that we could get the business to a sensible position. I became known to the people that became the new management because they needed somebody to run numbers in what was obviously a very confidential project at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so as we restructured, uh, I was still the sort of number two in finance for about a year, but the CFO decided to leave. Uh, and I was offered the chance to step up. So I became CFO of Interroot uh, in November 2004, and I was 30, just turned 31 years old. So um, I definitely didn't have the experience. Uh, I was definitely thrown in at the deep end, uh, and I had no idea of the challenge that lay ahead, to be perfectly honest. I would say that uh, my first four to five years were incredibly hard. Um, yes, I did some things really well. You know, we raised um, some equity funding at the time, uh, which was an absolute necessity to stop the business going um, bankrupt ultimately. So we needed more equity mm -hmm. funding. So we managed to succeed there. We were very much running, you know, at the limits we could from a cash flow perspective. So it was always very challenging. We were growing the top line, uh, but never quick enough in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and I was also sort of inherited a financial team uh, in the totality that you know, basic accounting wasn't really being done right and, and there were lots of problems. So uh, I definitely had a very difficult job and, and I look back now and think, wow, you know, I just, there were certain things I wish I'd done, mostly in hiring a stronger team more quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. And I would tell you today that, you know, for all the, you know, the, the plaudits who say, you know, what amazing thing I've done with my career, a lot of that is down to the amazing team that I have, have worked for me, both at Intrude and most of them came across to go, a, a chunk of them came to go catalyst with me. Uh, and I couldn't definitely couldn't do it without them. But in the early days, I didn't know that. And it was really, really hard. Um, and I learned so much, but it was it was difficult. And I was also a woman in a very male dominated environment. Yeah. Uh, and I was also young. So and young. Yeah, lots of challenges. <laughs> yeah. So lots, yeah. lots of challenges. And interestingly, when I'll always say this to, to most CFOs, the thing I, I worried about, you know, when I sort of took the job was, did I have the gravitas to be a successful CFO? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought running the finance team would be really easy. Actually, it was the other way around. Um, I've always managed, I think, the side of sort of investor communication, border communication, raising equity, raising funds, knowing my numbers, that bit is what comes naturally. I had to learn an awful lot about running a very good and sort of top-notch finance department. Uh, and that was a huge challenge, particularly in a very, it was, we weren't growing as quickly as, as we are at GoCalus, but it was still very high mm. growth. We were running across multiple geographies, so we pretty much had, uh, statutory entities everywhere in Europe um, so it was a very complex organization as well so lots and lots of challenges but uh, I loved my time in through I mean I am so grateful that it happened um, you know I miss lots about it as much as I enjoy my new role as well uh, I worked with amazing people very lucky to have the sort of management team that around me and supported me as a, as a young female to frankly make mistakes and then and then move on um, because yeah. that was the thing. I learned so much from my mistakes and that is quite a hard thing to do. You know, I remember sort of four or five years in thinking, I just can't do this. Um, but then actually taking a step back and realizing I could because I knew what I'd done wrong and I just needed to do some things differently. So I then started to hire a really good team. Um, we went from strength to strength. I loved all the M&A we did. You know, we did lots of acquisitions. Some mm -hmm. were amazing. Yeah. One or two mistakes probably along the way as well, <laughs> as, as you do. Um, yeah. And, you know, you know, we grew as a business. We managed to take turnover from literally zero to 700 million. 
you know, we used to lose 100 million a year. You know, my first year in the job, I was ringing up our shareholder, asking him to send me sort of <laughs> seven or eight million to fund the business every month. I mean, uh, awkward conversations, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, exactly. can you? <laughs> and then, and then uh, we turned it into a business that was generating cash. We were able to raise, you know, 600 and odd million on the, on the debt markets in uh, 2015 um, again was a, a hugely challenging experience but one I absolutely loved um, private equity came into owning minority stake uh, but they you know honestly behaved as as majority uh, shareholders but I mm-hmm. learned so much again you know I actually think that three years I had under the private equity ownership was fundamental in also making me who I am today and also actually helping me stay through a crisis frankly because they did teach me things that um, I definitely had forgotten or somehow uh, the world had moved on a little bit where I'd only been at Innsbruck, so not necessarily seen everything that I needed to. So that was a hugely great experience. Uh, and then we uh, obviously sort of exited the business uh, in May 2018 uh, through a very intense sales process. Um, and something else just to add to the mix, I was also diagnosed with breast cancer at that time. Uh, oh, wow. And so I, I actually um, did all of that whilst having chemo and radiotherapy and I was fine. It was diagnosed very early. So, you know, I'm touch wood fine today. Uh, but I just got on with it because that's kind of me. I'm a northern working class girl by heritage. So uh, I <laughs> yeah, just, we just crack uh, on. Just, just crack on exactly and which is what I did and uh, you know we were very you know we achieved a, a good exit for our shareholders um, and you know I think it allowed us all to sort of say we'd taken into to be what it could be I think it could have gone on as an independent business but it was probably always better being combined with a, with a larger enterprise um, which mm. is very different actually to sort of where I sit today at Go Cardless. Uh, so just brilliant experience. Uh, loved every day of it, to be honest. Um, I, you know, managed to juggle it all with two girls as well uh, at home uh, through having mm-hmm. both a very supportive husband and, you know, help uh, as you need to do these things. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, just uh, fantastic. And I do think having been through challenges and also actually something that you learn about actually juggling lots of different priorities, which kind of comes actually if you become a mother as well as working. Uh, that's actually been really helpful as well in in realising you've just got to think very quickly and react very quickly, you know, through this current mm-hmm. crisis. And I think I was just probably in the, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that COVID-19 hit now and not when I was a CFO of, uh, you know, one or two years, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's so many there's so many topics that you've just touched on there that I'd, I really just want to briefly go back to. Um, I guess my first one was, um, you know, we touched on there the fact that you were, you know, like a super young CFO. You were a woman in a kind of male dominated, you know, at that moment in time when that was happening, were you very aware of that or were were you, you know, is it only now reflecting back on that that you're like, oh, yes, I see that now, you know, because it's very so hard, it- like I would say. Sometimes yeah, I don't, it, I'm not aware of it around me. Yeah, I sort of agree with you, actually, because it's an interesting point. I think, actually, and I think it is different today. I think today uh, young women are very aware of potential blockers mm. and ensuring that, you know, that nothing stops them. And certainly my two daughters believe that the whole world is their oyster and they can do anything, which which is great. I don't yeah. think I was ever any different. I don't, I can't ever explain why, because there was nothing in my sort of background that sort of indicates that I would sort of take the route that I've did or, you know, other than having incredibly supportive parents. But, um, you know, my background was, I was the first university, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, mm-hmm. I but sort of always sort of knew I was good at what I did, I think, deep down. Um, and when I got promoted, I did worry a bit. That was the gravitas point. I worried that people wouldn't take me seriously. So I did mm. worry that I would be, particularly because we're going out fundraising as well. Um, and mm-hmm. we were, you know, again, you know, I was always the only female in any room. 
uh, yeah. and I was young and I'm also blonde kind of something so those two things, that's <laughs> early, yeah, yeah. Well you're just the girl against the tea <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but uh, I never let it hold me back and I always remember um, you know my one of the things my CEO said um, a few years that sort of a, we were a, a director kind of dinner internally and he stood up and said you know about me that he you know I was in the job not because I was a woman because I was the best person for the job and I think in all honesty, the environment I was in at Interroot, although it was incredibly male dominated, mm. and I'd be lying if I said I didn't come across certain sort of, you know, sexism or uh, sort of inappropriate behaviour in many sets yeah. of circumstances. But I always just got on with it, you know, and I just never let it hold me back. Um, and I think that's probably sometimes I kind of try and teach some of my, you know, uh, sort of all the different and amazing women that work at Go Carlos. Uh, mm-hmm. but who are younger and less experienced to just not worry about it too much. You know, I think, you know, we've got some incredible talent um, at Go Carlos and uh, they, you know, a lot of it comes down to self-belief and, and that sometimes is hard. You know, I have my moment when we doubt and I think as women we are generally a little bit more caring, a little bit more mm-hmm. worried about what people think to some level. Uh, yeah. And so I think that does play a part. And we're not great at singing our own praises. That's something else I think that we, we don't do enough of. Uh, but I generally have just never let it hold me back and I've always felt that, um, you know, I could achieve what I wanted to be, you know, it's been hard at times, you know, juggling everything. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the acquisition, um, in 2018 that saw, uh, Interserve, um, you know, sold on and, and acquired, um, coupled with that kind of, um, health um challenges that you were having at the time was that a was that a crossroads for you is that like how did you end up going from interrich um to go cordless and and how was that transition how did it even come about like i think i feel like you you maybe have an appetite for for skate like fast scaling kind of companies and you think yeah uh, in a sense then i'll be very honest in this um given it's kind of a little bit more of a, a personal interview rather than than purely business um so interestingly, despite everything I'd achieved, that little bit of female in me always had that little bit of doubt of, you know, was I only able to do this successfully once, uh, you know, yeah. to what I'd achieved at Interroot. So that was part of me, what spurred me on, you know, I always, you know, my old CEO joked I'd be the first person to get another job. He was right. Uh, I always worried, uh, you know, I, I always felt that if I didn't get another job, I would lose confidence quite quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of pushed me on that way. Secondly, um, as much as I love my daughters, uh, I do. Uh, I would be a dreadful stay-at-home mum. Uh, <laughs> we would fight incessantly. You know, I would get so bored. It would be really bad for me. Yeah. Um, as personally, I'm just not that. I'm just not that person. Uh, my husband understands me very well as well and knows that's the case. So, kind of, I always wanted to work. Frankly, the sort of breast cancer thing. I just thought, well, it's got to deal with it, haven't I? And get on with it. Uh, hmm. It doesn't stop me doing what I want to do. You know, I, I feel I've got an amazing balance. Actually, I've been very lucky to work for two businesses um, that allow me to juggle home and, and and work life in a way that for me works. It might not work for everybody, but for me, it does. Um, you know, obviously as well, you know, it's, it's ended up, you know, creating sort of financial situation on a personal level I could never have dreamt of. So that puts us also in good stead. And that also helps mm-hmm. me to make the decision that I could choose something I really wanted to do. Uh, I definitely decided as I left Interroot, I wanted to move to a smaller business, you know, back to a smaller high growth business rather than go to a bigger, more established place, maybe a turnaround situation or one that wanted to, you know, do another transaction very quickly. Uh, because I've just been through that. So I did make a decision to kind of go back to a smaller organization, 
but I really wanted to passionately build another business um, and partly because I wanted to see if I could be as successful in this role as you know with Go Carlos as I was you know I was at interview and touch wood so far I think it's going pretty well yeah uh, I think it's and, going okay you know, <laughs> yeah and I've been so lucky to uh, in a, you know get with an, another amazing management team uh, I always thought that my team at interview was really unique um, and they were uh, and I'll always, you know, remain very sort of both, you know, sort of the incredibly impressive individu- individuals and I'll always have a very close place in my heart. But uh, I've got to say that I love my new team at Go Carlos as well. Uh, and I mean, my whether it's, you know, my CEO, Hiroki, was just an incredible inspiration uh, and has faced way bigger challenges than I have uh, in his own personal journey. Uh, but he's also just so inspirational and also just so bright. Um, fantastic to work with with somebody so challenging uh, in the sense of always asking the right questions uh, but also just a fantastic guy um, you know but also you know the other members of our team be it sort of Carlos who is our CEO some of the younger guys coming up who head up our products our engineering departments and um, you know we've recruited amazing another amazing woman through our, our VP of strategy so really really good team and I just um, you know I love working with them so very, very lucky. I feel I'm very privileged to <laughs> to have hopefully two very successful careers under my belt once uh, we take Girl Cardless onto the next level. Yeah, I love that you um, you almost have to go and prove to yourself that the first one wasn't a flick, and it's like a, it was sold for two point three billion, and that, <laughs> that cannot be a flick. <laughs> but um, you're you're a finance person, which means that you need to see proof and a, a scientific mind. So I get, I understand where that was uh, coming from. Um, so let's talk about now about your um, role at uh, Go Cardless and how that has been impacted um, now that COVID, you know, when it first hit hit us all in in March. How how did it impact the business and and your team? Yeah, so um, I think firstly, you know, the really good thing about Go Cardless is we have a product that is set for the digital age, uh, which is clearly, you know, whether we were there before, we definitely were there as we exit this and um, everything, you know, more and more moving online, etc. You know, we are set up very well to do that. Secondly, Go Cardless has a great product, which is loved by its customers and merchants. So therefore, kind of merchants leaving us and thinking about not do, using our product just to as they start thinking about cutting costs, etc., you know, I think we're mm-hmm. pretty well protected there. We've got a very diverse customer base and an increasingly international um, base of, of merchants as well, which obviously also helps to to de-risk at some level. So I think we had a lot of good going in our favour, um, but clearly, you know, COVID hitting uh, a business that's just always grown was a bit mm-hmm. of a culture shock. And, and we did, you know, for all of us as a management team, you know, and I think Hiroki would be the first to say for him, was a very challenging situation to be thrown into as a as a new CEO, you know, as a young, um, you know, an incredible but young CEO. Um, yeah. That we had to, uh, you know, make some tough decisions because we didn't know where the crisis was going to go. So we we could see that initial payment volume was going down in April. Um, you know, because some of our merchants like gyms, etc., obviously mm-hmm. had to close. Uh, yeah. But we could also see that it wasn't, you know, we had a lot of merchants that we knew were still trading. So, you know, we, we had some sort of level of reassurance. Uh, but we did pause spend because, you know, the thing I said to kind of the team was that we had to make sure that we had enough cash 
coming out of the crisis because we're still loss making as a business. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, we needed to feel that we were reducing our losses and that therefore if we needed to, we could take the business to profitability. And uh, you know, I strongly believe that GoCardless could be very profitable if we were not so focused on growing, which we are because mm -hmm. we believe we've got a huge, huge market opportunity, opportunity ahead of us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it was uh, it was definitely a challenge. I mean, we we came onto it as you know planning lots of different scenarios. If revenue does this, if revenue does that, uh, thinking about seeing you know, seeing how things were going. You know, luckily we our workforce, our employee base, are an amazing support to the business. Everybody agreed to take a pay cut uh, and did that voluntarily, um, which was fantastic to have the whole company behind us and supporting us through a period. Very happy to say that you know we rehearse, we're actually in a position to reverse that now. You know, probably sooner than we would originally thought, uh, because the business has actually stood up very well in the face of COVID. You know, and we've signed the, the biggest volume of new deals for the second consecutive quarter. Uh, top revenue is now back to March levels, um, so we're in a very good place given it. Now, clearly, nobody knows what's coming next, and you know we're very much balancing yeah. between continuing to invest and grow the business with also making sure that. We've got enough protection to to ensure we can weather the next crisis, uh, but I think all it's made us is you know feel that we want to continue to help businesses to get themselves paid because cash flow is so important, uh, and I think our product is a, is an amazing uh, assist to and could be an amazing assist to so many so many uh, businesses out there. One of the reasons why I joined Cocalus in the first place was that I could see the benefit of the product to even a company like Interroot for its big base of small. Uh, business that we also served, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was a tiny part of our revenue, but we did serve, you know, an SB base. And if we could have collected those payments automatically rather than having traditional credit control, that would have been a massive boost to our cash flow. Um, so I could see the benefit, and I think we've got a huge market opportunity that lies ahead, uh, and lots of future, you know, lots of exciting future developments as as the business and the banking world sort of moves forward, you know, with open banking and such like. And we mm -hmm. see that as a really big opportunity that that we hopefully will be able to exploit. Yeah, you've just touched on almost like the um, the application of the playbook of what to do in this situation. We had a number of guests on the podcast during lockdown um, talking about sort of that kind of how do you deal with it and what do you need to do. Um, episode 77 with Richard McMullen was talking about consolidating the business during, during the crisis. Um, and he just, everything that you've just said, that was exactly what he said. He was like, you know, you know, protect your cash flow, speak to your creditors, you know, start planning, scenario planning of all the different outcomes of what could be happening next and start planning for each of those scenarios. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing to life all of that advice that uh, he shared with us um, uh, back in episode 77. Um, now, obviously, you know, it sounds like there's been good and bad and new applications and new opportunities for, for Go Cardless. Um, and it's great to hear that things haven't maybe slowed down um, as much in your market as they have in others, but you still have to adapt um, to this new kind of uh, normal and these new uh, predictions. So how have you guys, how have GoCardist done it? Is it being that realistic, having that realistic approach and appreciating how things have recovered, but knowing that they could take a hit and continue in that scenario planning or, or how do you guys do it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, scenario planning now is just, you know, it's just, you've just got to do it, unfortunately. <laughs> My team may hate me for it, but we're currently going through our budgeting for uh, sort of next year and, and we're running multiple scenarios because it's very hard to call where we're going to end up. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, as a business that feels it's still got a very big market opportunity ahead of it, 
we don't want to either lose momentum too much um, and we feel that there are certain areas where we've definitely got to recruit, you know, so we are opening headcount again uh, because we want to accelerate growth both in our international business and our UK business because we feel the opportunity is there because actually, you know, the fact that things move online but also that, you know, we are focused in helping businesses with their cash flow, obviously that's very resonant in today's climate. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said, we've got to worry about the downside uh, and I'm always the one sort of making sure that we never forget that. Uh, and, you know, if there was another lockdown or, you know, there is sort of obviously there are going to be some, some businesses that don't survive this crisis, um, you know, we clearly need to be prepared for that and clearly prepared to adapt. I think the other thing I would say that I've learned from experience is you've got to be quick and nimble and you've got to be willing to change your mind. Uh, you know, just because you make a decision on X day, if things start to change, you need to be able to, you know, feel confident in changing your mind. Um, yeah. Because, and also not changing your mind too too early either, because that's a balance. And it's, it's a really hard one to get right all the time. And of course, you never do. Uh, but you're yeah. always trying to keep on top of those things. And I think... You know, in my mind, companies that are successful are companies that are not scared of change uh, because things are undoubtedly changing. Our world will never be the same again. You know, I, I don't believe it will. It just isn't. Um, and so we've got to be ready to adapt to that. And, you know, we're, our focus is very much on as well, you know, to serve the businesses that are going to survive and thrive, you know, post-COVID, as well as also trying to help merchants that, you know, were harmed during COVID. So, you know, we're a very ethical business. You know, a lot of that is down to Hiroki and his great attitude and values. So, you know, some of our gyms and such like that really were struggling, obviously, through COVID because they had to close down entirely. You know, we allowed them to pause mm -hmm. commitments and such like. So uh, we tried to be as supportive as possible to, to our merchant base as well. And I think that's such an important point. You know, any businesses that were had the strength in their own uh, balance sheet to be able to pass on that support to other businesses will be remembered. And you talked earlier about customer loyalty and how your merchants love your product, but it'll also be about your values. And um, I think now coming into this new world, we've seen it with, you know, different um, movements like Black Lives Matter and, you know, where people are now being more vocal about what they think and is the right thing to do and how we should be a sort of society first, uh, you know, or civic minded society and that is definitely coming to the fore um but has it has it affected the the growth plans you know pre-covid go carlos did have very ambitious plans you've talked about there about the international markets the new opportunities um has there been have you taken a more measured approach now to that growth um and or has it jeopardized it entirely or or what does that look like no so it's Definitely not jeopardised it entirely. Uh, and I would say the only thing impact it's really had is probably just to pause slightly. Um, mm -hmm. But we are now back thinking, you know, we're not thinking, but, you know, we're now planning around, you know, being able to accelerate because, frankly, the top line, you know, performance has been there. Um, so we're now, I would say, you know, clearly this is, is you know, not just about probably, you know, if we're, where we are today, potentially around 12 months. Uh, but it's definitely not impacted our long-term vision of where we think we're going to end up uh, you know, it is definitely our mission um, to create a, you know, the best in recurring payments uh, and, you know, the best in bank to bank transfer. We strongly believe that, you know, the world ahead, you know, more and more businesses uh, and hopefully consumers will be comfortable with, you know, paying uh, directly through their bank accounts rather than necessarily mm -hmm. always using credit cards. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of studies out there that show this to be the way that people actually prefer. Uh, as I said, we were incredibly, you know, unethical as a business, and I think we have the right values. We, 
constantly you know we're really sort of staffing up our customer care function as well to make sure that we've got the right support in place for our customers trying to also make things easier basically for our customer stroke merchants that you know for them to collect their cash you know they don't have to sort of pick up a phone and do a credit control conversation uh they mm -hmm. effectively you know just come to an agreement where their invoice gets paid on time and you know that was always you know living in a world i did an interview going back to that you know not being paid by our customers was just such a, a massively painful thing to try and solve um, mm -hmm. whereas i think we make that whole process easy and we take the pain out of it it's that kind of strap line but uh, yeah, I, I do believe it's really true uh, and the fact that we can now offer this across borders, you know, that's what we believe is an opportunity. You know, Heroku will always say, you know, the, the visa doesn't exist for bank debit. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that our long-term aspiration <laughs> is to be visa, but, you know, we do believe yeah. that we are trying to build a global uh, bank debit platform. Let's talk about um, some advice now. I would love to um, share some of your expertise and advice to those younger uh, CFOs or perhaps entrepreneurs who are looking after their own finances for their businesses. You know, you talked about how you are glad that COVID wasn't happening when you were a CFO of Venturit, and um, but there will be those uh, those uh, CFOs and finance people out there. Um, can you give us a bit of an insight in terms of what uh, or how financial planning during this pandemic has differed um, from a typical recession? Like, what have you learned uh, comparing if you compare all the different crises that you've been through? Yeah, I actually think. Um, and actually, it was a bit similar to I suppose in true, but I think that, that scenario planning and actually the range of scenarios being wider, uh, and sort of after having to be comfortable with that, uh, that is something that is is really important uh, because you know because there is so much question over where this will all end. Um, you know, I think you could have you know certain things happen. I think you also just need to be prepared for volatility uh, because I think that um, you know knowing always having at the back of your mind that there could be a second wave and. Which clearly we're sort of already in anyway, uh, but also there might be another full lockdown. You know, it's a possibility. Obviously, we all hope that that doesn't happen. Um, but these things, just being aware that there are lots of different moving parts out there, and you've just got to get comfortable with that as a sort of a setup and scenario. I think then, I think interestingly, you know, the key is as well though that you do want your business to thrive, so you can definitely cut too much. You know, I've always thought that, and uh, kind of just putting entire breaks on investment and spend you know is probably not the right answer uh because you have got to it's balanced you've got to obviously make sure you're not running out of cash but you know i think also to think you're going to get through this and making sure the business is in the best possible state that is really important i think you know for younger um sort of knowing that you've got to make some difficult decisions knowing that you're doing those decisions in with the best interests of the business at heart because that's ultimately your responsibility but also know that probably every decision you make won't be right. Um, you know, you're going to make mistakes. I think those are things that you really need to be comfortable with. And, you know, in all honesty, I think mm -hmm. a lot of that does come with age that, you know, you realize that, you know, you can make mistakes and learn from them. And actually, I would say the things I've learned most in my life have come from, you know, having made a mistake, it being pointed out yeah. and sort of just being better thereafter because of it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that is it. But I mean, it must be, you know, it must have been very tough and hard. And unfortunately, it's sort of at some level, it's a bit of a lottery because, if you were in a certain industry, you know, you've probably survived pretty well from COVID. If you're in another, it's, you know, it's obviously a complete disaster. Yeah. And even some of that is not about to be, you know, technology based because, you know, if you're a travel technology business, you're still in the same place as if you are, a, uh, you know, if you were the, the person with the shops on the high street. So, um, you know, I think sadly some sectors are, are going to find it very, very hard to recover from this. Um, 
But, you know, we've just got to, you know, even if whatever's your position, you've just got to not panic and try and plan uh, for both the downside and know you've got levers that you can pull um, that will effectively, um, you know, sort of enable you to change direction if that's what needs to happen. You touched on something there, which actually came up a few weeks ago in our interview with Mark Wright, um, who is the CEO of Climb Online. Um, he was the apprentice winner back in 2014. And um, it's about Ryan's spending. And you said there about, you know, you know, you talked about, you know, not necessarily cutting, you know, cutting too much is not necessarily the right thing. And we did see a lot of businesses just put a pause and put the brakes on everything in March and April. And he talked about his approach of where they, you know, they rallied as a business and they powered through and they, you know, doubled down on a lot of stuff. And they have now come out of lockdown as one of the fastest growing digital marketing agencies of their size during lockdown. Um, so, but it's just, it just seems like such a fine line, Catherine, you know, we're, is, we're on such a fine line to, to, to kind of tread. How do you, you know, which spending controls are a must? Which ones do you need to be flexible on? Who do you work with in your C-suite executive team to make those decisions? And who should you be talking to? Yeah, so I think um, first and foremost, putting uh, discretionary spend, you know, it's, it's just, you know, the obvious thing to say, but that clearly has to be the first place you go. Um, so now some of that has happened naturally because everybody's at home. Um, and some <laughs> of it has happened, you know, but some of it took very deliberate action. So, for example, you know, given we were asking everybody to take a pay cut, we also decided we should cut back on um sort of learning budgets because it felt wrong to give people learning budgets as well when they're having to take you know sort of sacrifice from their salaries again yeah. we've, we've reinstated since but so we, we definitely looked at all our non-discretionary spend i think depending on the business you know obviously that is either more or less um when most of you spend as people i mean i think that becomes harder because you know clearly making decisions around people and you know making redundancies which you know we made, we made a small number of but obviously some businesses have made significantly more or are you going to put people on furlough and etc etc you know they were all the and always are the tougher decisions because you, you know you're talking about people and you're talking about feelings and emotions as well as sort of trying to kind of take a step back and make what you know is the right decision for, for the business um so that is all is always you know going to be hard um but i think one of the reasons why we decided to go down the salary sacrifice route rather than go down the um uh, sort of redundancy route was because mm -hmm. we felt that we wanted to try and keep doing as much as we could uh, to ensure the yeah. business survived and thrived after uh, COVID. So that was a very deliberate decision on our part. You know, we did get some pressure from some of our board that we should have potentially cut deeper, uh, but we mm -hmm. resisted that because we, you know, and, and I was a very big advocate of this and, and very supportive of Roki in this decision, uh, that I felt that given knowing what I know about God Carlos and knowing the opportunity that lies ahead, that would just have been the wrong thing to do because you know we are now in a position now where we need to start you know growing growing again and you know from a workforce perspective in an employee base so you know absolutely would have been the wrong thing to do to have set us back there uh, but that was a big driver i mean it's always going to be hard and you say you're going to get some things wrong but i think you do protect the things that you know are doing well uh, and then also don't be scared to take risks sufficient you know some risk on those things that are going to be your future so, you know, yeah. take us as an example, we've got kind of, you know, new products um, launching around uh, sort of payment intelligence. So sort of telling our merchants the best day to take a payment to ensure it's successful and that it doesn't fail. 
We've got sort of uh, products around fraud that we're looking to enhance. And then, as I said, we, we believe that open banking presents a, a really big opportunity too. So we try to protect investment in products. Uh, as well as also investments that are in our go-to-market uh, sort of teams to to help us to continue to, to win business uh, through this crisis, which, you know, thankfully, you know, have both proved successful. We did, though, you know, the offsetting from that is we decided the spend place where we could cut was marketing uh, because for us, we didn't have enough data. And some of this comes back to, you know, I suppose, what you're getting at with the question as well is having data to enable you to make decisions is even more important. Uh, and so we uh, basically, you know, we, we were struggling a little bit with our, well, our marketing spend was, was given as a return. So that was the mm-hmm. sort of balanced decision. Let's keep our investment in, in our, our people, but let's just pull back a bit on marketing because we think uh, that the sort of impact on top line is going to probably be negligible. Yeah, I think you've touched on some really interesting points there, you know, crisis does spur innovation and um, we've seen you know quite a number of new applications and new uh, products coming on the market as as a result which I think will be here to stay um, the balance that you have to take between you know people's livelihoods and protecting the long-term prospect of the company I don't think anybody knows what the right decision is there um, and it's you know great to hear that uh, GoCardless have reinstated those salaries and you know supported and rewarded the people that have 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 had their loyalty i suppose being loyal to the company throughout this difficult time um it's been brilliant to talk to you catherine i've really enjoyed um talking to you and learning about this aspect of go cardless and what it looks like from the from the cfo side um to wrap up we always like to finish with a little bit of advice um for the listeners so what would be your sort of top tips and advice to both startups and scale-ups um, to help them weather this storm? Yes, I think, you know, it's much of what I've said, but don't panic, uh, you know, and there probably is going to be another sort of second hit of some description. So again, mm-hmm. you know, try and keep a level head. Um, always keep an eye on the bottom line. So never let your cash balance get so low and try and act and prevent. Talk to advisors, talk to your banks if you've got debt in place. Generally, you'll find people will support you, particularly if you've got a good business model that, that people could see long-term uh, survival in. So uh, don't be afraid to ask for advice. Don't be afraid to kind of speak openly to your investors or to your, you know, sort of lenders or, you know, suppliers, because potentially you may need sort of more favorable terms. Um, mm-hmm. But also just, you know, realize you're going to learn from this crisis, you know, and sure that we will all come out of this, you know, better business leaders and better executives. Uh, and I think it is kind of good to know that, that, um, you know, you are always learning. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I continue to work because I love learning. You know, I've learned so much about payments. I didn't know anything uh, two years ago. Uh, and uh, it's great, you know. And the fact is that I think the world gets a better place by innovation, as you've said. Um, and uh, I have no doubt that this crisis will sort of, through all of the, particularly the businesses that we're talking about, the scale-ups and the startups, you know, it will thrive for innovation. And hopefully 10 years time, you know, when, you know, we look back on this, we'll see that the world is actually a better place. Lovely. Brilliant way to um, wrap the podcast today. Um, thank you so much for your time, Catherine, and your insight into Go Cardless and your career, your phenomenal career journey. Um, for the listeners, I hope that um, Catherine's story and also her uh, expertise in terms of how to handle these crises from a fiscal point of view will help you get a better night's sleep. Fast 
Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Belli, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violets. If you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester. Tech Manchester.